Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Welcome to another new episode of the Step Over Podcast. I am Jim Adair, and with me as always is Max. Wait, they don't love you like I love you. Mappaport was worse than the first time I did it when we had to scrap it because this is take three at the beginning of the podcast. Max. I thought I thought it was good. I, I, I commend the effort. That's not what you ever want to hear as I commend the effort. No. No, it's always a bad sign. Anyway, Max. Uh, it's like when you're playing basketball and, and somebody says, good idea, when you do something. It's like. Or when you. You thought you could do that thing, but you couldn't. But no. if you were better, you could have done it. So it was a good idea that you tried it. Or when you're just having fun and shooting shots at like the Sixers media game, for example, just as a random example. Uh, and you're just like enjoying yourself because you're on the court at the Wells Fargo Center, just for a random example. And you shoot a brick. And somebody who's on your team, just for a random example, says, only smart shots, guys. And then you hold on to it for four years in your brain. Mm. It's like that. I will not name. Was it Marshall Harris? I will know. Well, actually, it wasn't Marshall. I do remember, though. <laughs> I don't think Marshall listens to this podcast. Uh, but I do remember specifically in that game, um, Marshall was bringing. It was like a game to 11. It took like an hour and a half because it was just so, everyone was just so out of shape and playing on the big court and stuff. Marshall was bringing the ball up. I wasn't on Marshall's team. And he, while bringing the ball up, was like, what's the score? And someone said, like, uh, 9-7. And he pulls up for a three and goes, game, and bangs a three. But it just tied the game. They were the team that was down. <laughs> <laughs> Think about that. It was hilarious. It's like, not game. It's like, yeah, great. Now it's tied. <laughs> um, no, but I won't name who that person that said that thing was. Unless you get like a half of a beer and be in public and then ask me. I'll tell you all you want. Anyway, Max, um, the Sixers won uh, their fourth consecutive game against the um, Charlotte Hornets, which is crazy because they played them 48 times this year. Um, they're, I believe, their fifth consecutive game on the season, um, which I'm starting to get a little bit worried. I know the Boston game is tomorrow, which we'll obviously talk about a little bit later. But I do remember... Um, which we will revisit as it gets cl- very close to the end of the season, our over-unders from beginning at the beginning of the year. Um, the over-under longest win streak was set at nine. You said over. I said under. They've rung off five in a row now. There's, I think, what, 12 games left. So we're it, it's possible. It's certainly possible they can go up nine, whether they win or lose against Boston either way. Um, but I feel confident for now. Uh, so Max, uh, before we delve into the Boston stuff, uh, what did you see from tonight's um, embedless load management uh, game uh, that you liked? I mean, I think the biggest thing is is Redick, and this is more over the last like three, four, or five games. But Redick being back to, I mean, tonight even more than what you'd expect from him, but just like back to what you expect from Redick is 
so helpful. Yeah. Like it, it's just really brutal when you're you're relying on him so much for for floor spacing and you're getting, uh, you know, 34 percent mm-hmm. shooting because he's just taking so many threes. Um, yeah, he went seven for fourteen tonight, twenty seven points. Now, we, his first career double double, which yeah. Jim pointed out to me, I had no idea, which is an, an insane thing for someone who plays as much as he plays to never get ten rebounds or ten assists for that matter. He's a guard. And 10 points. All right, so I'm going to double-check this. I'm pretty sure he's ever had a double-double. His maximum career assists is 10 in a game, and his maximum career rebounds is 10 in a game, which he did for the first time tonight. I saw the the first double-double, career double-double tweet a couple of times when it happened, and I didn't question it because you believe everything you see on Twitter. Um, so I'm just going to go with it. And if we're wrong, then it's not the first or hundredth time I've been wrong on this podcast. Um, but something before we get into the, the 10 rebounds thing, because I have a stat for that. Something I really liked about JJ's game tonight is that he started, what, five for six from three, five for seven from three, mm-hmm. um, and kept shooting. And he missed like five or six in a row, and he kept shooting because that's what he does. And he ended up seven for 14, which doesn't look amazing on paper, but it's, it's 50%, and you'll take that every single game, obviously. So I liked the fact that he didn't stop shooting them. He didn't look to pass because when he looks to pass or double, like, thinks too much. That's when he makes those late-game ball decision mistakes. Um, and it's also in a game like tonight where, like, I, I didn't really care if they won or lost because I'm so focused on tomorrow. Um, and if he wasn't playing, I don't know. It's midweek. It's a Tuesday. I just didn't really care that much. I was laying on the couch eating pizza. Um, it's really fun if there's ever a point in a game where they're up a bunch or down a bunch or you just want to have a fun experience. Just watch J.J. Redick on the court. Just run all over the place, like someone. He runs like someone who's playing pickup basketball, who can't play very well, but he's just trying as hard as he can open because he wants to touch the ball, and that's all he wants. He's just running so much, all it exhausts me even watching him. Um, but that's fun. Uh, but so before before we move on from JJ, I wanted to point this out. So since tonight was supposedly JJ Reddick's first game. This is actually backed up. I, I looked it up. It is true. Yes. I just looked it up while you were talking. It, he has never had a double, 10 assists double. And, and 10 points, which is crazy because I guess there was a game where he had 10 assists, but yeah. not 10 points. Yeah. So I used Basketball References um, streak tool to see who had the longest streak in NBA history, which J.J. Reddick broke his tonight, of – or this is not even that. It's who – had the most play, games played in their entire career, which Redick removed himself from that conversation tonight because now he has 10 rebounds. Um, who played the most games in their entire career without ever getting double-digit rebounds? And J.J. Redick is now no longer part of that list. But before he got that tonight, he had played 826 regular season games without getting 10 rebounds. In front of him were... One, two, three, four, five, six players. Can you name oh, two man. of them? Okay. So where my head goes immediately is that these are players who pl- who are guards, small smaller guards who played a lot of games but not a lot of minutes. Like you would be, a backup point guard. You'd be no. right in some, wrong in some. I'm th- I'm thinking like a Jordan Farmar kind of player, like someone who played so, a lot. Is he on the list? Not Jordan Farmar. You just gave me a look like he's on the list. Okay. But there is definitely a Jordan Farmar type on this list. Oh, is it? Um, 
Not Luke Ridenour. It is Luke Ridenour. <laughs> yeah. So Luke Ridenour is just in front of J.J. Redick on the regular season list with 830. But he did have 10 rebounds in a playoff game, I think. Oh, no. He didn't play as many playoff games as J.J. Redick, so he falls behind him on the list when you include playoff games. So he's off. But, yes, so of 826 for Redick, 830 for Luke Ridenour. In front of uh, Luke Ridenour, and then, mind you, this is only regular season games. Mm-hmm. Uh, Darren Williams, which surprised me. Really? 845. Surprised me. In front of Darren Williams, Bimbo Coles, 852. In front of Bimbo Coles, Steve Kerr, 974. In front of, that makes sense. In front of Steve Kerr. Devin Harris, also 974. Devin Harris has never had 10 rebounds? No. In front of Devin Harris, with 1,504 regular season games without getting double-digit rebounds, is John Stockton. Now, here's where it becomes fun. When you include the playoffs, John Stockton leaves the list because I think he had a 10-rebound game in his final season when he was like 39 or 40 in the playoffs. So he's off the list. So when you include playoff games and regular season games, J.J. Redick would have been third on the all-time list behind Devin Harris and Steve Kerr, both with exactly 1,038 games. That's really surprising with Stockton just because I think you play enough minutes, you just expect that it'll happen at some point. But just when you're playing with Carl Malone for your entire career, you don't, even, yeah. you don't even attempt rebounds, really. And you're spacing the floor, and you're and you're just not – you don't find yourself guard, like ending up under the basket all that often. Exactly. You just think it would happen, like just fluke, you know, just like being, being out there. You would think so, but no, not at all. I'm happy I got Luke Ridenour. That I feel good about that. I'm glad that when you who did you say first? Jordan Jordan Farmer. When I said it's a Jordan Farmer type, your brain immediately went to Luke Ridenour, which is exactly who I was thinking of. So I'm very happy with that as well. Now I want to look up if Jordan Farmer has ever had ten rebounds. He probably just didn't play enough games. Right. He's played five hundred and four career games. Yeah, he wouldn't have been close on that list. Well, let's move on from. Uh, yeah. By the way, in the the year two, sorry, shitty guards who can't rebound. In the year two thousand one, when John Stockton was thirty eight in the playoffs, he got eleven rebounds in a game. Wow. He scored seventeen points, had eleven rebounds and eighteen assists at the age of thirty eight. Jordan Farmer has never had ten rebounds in a game, according to this. So I feel good about yeah. that. Well, now JJ Redick is completely off this mo- list. Ma- Maybe more players than I realize. I just would have figured that it's rare to play more than like 100 games without, or I guess like 200 games, without getting 10 rebounds. Just because you see it happen. Like Tim Frazier will grab 10 rebounds. Right. Like it just happens. But this is now the modern NBA where you're thinking where the prevalence the prevalence of the three-pointer has led to more long rebounds for guards. Um, That's a good point. And the prevalence of, you know, just being more athletic guards, which J.D. Redick is obviously not one of, and Steve Kerr wouldn't have been one of, and John Stockton wouldn't have been one of, just chasing down rebounds as they come to you as well. So, you know. Um, but, yeah, you know, in, in the the Stockton-Malone era, teams weren't throwing enough three-pointers up to have long rebounds reflected to deflected to John Stockton, mm-hmm. really, in a game. So That's a good point. But, yeah, he's no, J.D. Redick is no longer on that elusive list. Congratulations to J.D. Redick. So moving on, what I guess I'll, I'll throw it to you because I, I talked a lot about you know what what I saw out of this game. I'm kind of curious what what you think. I guess mainly what you think with a lens towards the playoffs. 
Um, given that you didn't have Embiid tonight, just like whether that's bench or just like the role that Tobias Harris and Jimmy Butler have kind of found themselves getting more comfortable with as the season has gone on, like kind of what you're thinking about tonight and just the last few games mm-hmm. and how that makes you feel about the playoffs. Uh, you know, well, a couple of things. One, bench, trash. Uh, did absolutely nothing functional at all outside of James Ennis. And even James Ennis made some mistakes when it came to poor fouls and, and things of that nature. Uh, crap Rangoon. Um, Tobias Harris had some, he threw some real boulders up in the air that came down hard and hit the rim hard. Um, but looking at it now, looking at the numbers, he scored one fewer point than Jimmy Butler on two fewer shot attempts. Uh, he was one for five from three. Butler was one for four. So Butler definitely had a flasher game. He came out being more aggressive in the very beginning, um, and it definitely looked better for Butler. But in you know, it just shows you what kind of player Tobias Harris is, where he kind of has those those games where he has a quiet twenty two and eleven, um, and you know, Jimmy had twenty three four and nine, um, just also his percentage. But the biggest thing for me was. I think, obviously, probably for everybody in this game, was just Ben Simmons playing absolutely out of his mind. He was 11 for 12 from the floor, 6 for six for 10 from the line, which you wanted to see higher, but that's about a, on par with his average. Uh, eight rebounds and five assists. I don't think he had a first assist even until, like, mid-second quarter, if not later. Uh, a steal, two blocks, only one turnover, 28 points. Like, when you have games where... You're getting zero points out of T.J. McConnell, Boban, Mike Scott, and Jonah Bolden. Only four out of Amir. Um, you know, where you have Mike Scott and Jonah Bolden going, and Amir going at a combined 0 for 5 from 3. Uh, it's nice to have someone like Ben Simmons who can go 11 for 12 from the floor and put up a, like a, an overpowering 28 points uh, and take over and win a game that, you know, got tighter in the end than anyone would want without the best player on the team on the floor. And ideally and hopefully, the best player on the team on the floor is on the floor for the entire playoffs. And there's nothing... You're not going to need that, but it's nice to have that. It's nice to see that, you know, essentially the second fiddle to Joel Embiid a lot of the time can very strongly become the first fiddle when he needs to in a game like this. Because, yeah, the Hornets are fighting for a playoff spot, and they're not the greatest team in the world, but they're far from the worst. Um, tomorrow will be a much, much bigger test and a much, much bigger sign of where this team is when it comes to playoffs. But Ben Simmons' performance tonight was just out of this world. Because, you know, a lot of those 11 for 12 that he did were dunks, which you can say, obviously, he's going to make a dunk, but, like, you have to get to the rim to do that. And also there were a lot that was, he did a turnaround fadeaway jumper thing that he does that went in. A couple of these, you know, little off 10 floaters that like didn't look like they would go in and they did. He had an incredible game. Um, And you need that in a game where you don't have just the gravitational presence of Joel Embiid. And Ben Simmons doesn't have a jump shot. Uh, JJ's shot was falling, so it did help chase the floor, but Tobias' shot wasn't falling for at least half of the game. And the fact that Ben was still able to just take control and overpower that game is is absolutely huge. Yeah, and I, I think, too, it's like he's taken a little bit less of a role, and I think you saw this with Jimmy Butler especially tonight, a little bit less of a role as a ball handler and has been scoring in different ways, posting up a little bit more. Um, 
I really like that. It's it's kind of what we talked about when they got Tobias Harris that like you you just want to kind of use Jimmy Butler a little bit more in that role as a ball handler and and get um, have Simmons kind of take a step back in terms of like his usage, but just be efficient and like he's been awesome. Yeah. I mean, just the last five games, um, twenty eight points on eleven of twelve. Um, he had eight, nine, and nine against the Bucks in a really good game. Uh, you know, just all around on four of eight. Before that, 18 points on, on 8 of 12 against the Kings, 26 points on 10 of 6 against the Cavs, and 15 on 6 of 10. It's just like he's become such an efficient scorer mm-hmm. and not really turning the ball over. I mean, tonight he scored 28 on 12 shots and turned the ball over once. Right. So I, I think that's, you know, and that's been, I guess, a problem more so since the all-star break for him is, is he's turned the ball over a lot. But if he can just play like he did tonight, and it, he doesn't need to score 28, but just, like, not make mistakes – um, not try to press things, just play within his game, use his size to post up against guards. I think like he got Kemba into foul trouble or foul trouble early in, in the post. Like, I just think that is where a lot of his value lies. It's just that mismatch and using him as, you know, in the kind of Chris Paulian role that he, I feel like he's tried to take on in the past is like, isn't utilizing his strengths. Like he has an eight inch size advantage over a lot of point guards. Just like yeah. use that. You could probably easily make the argument that the best, the biggest impact he had on the game was getting Kemba in foul trouble. Because if Kemba played mm-hmm. that whole game, they were not going to win that game. And that was became pretty obvious. Um, but, I mean, I can't think of the last time when you could say that Ben Simmons was the best player on the floor and he was third on the team in assists. Because typically you'll see, you know, he'll come in and he'll be playing so well in the first half. Look at his first half line. He's got, like, you know, 5.7 rebounds, seven, seven assists. It's, it's very rarely that he has points and rebounds and no assists and that happened for a lot of the chunk of the game today so it just shows you how many facets of the game that he has that he's just so skilled at that and plus you just with his size like he's so hard to stop and being able to use that to your advantage especially when people are smaller than you is just it's just enormous yeah and i thought i thought butler and harris really filled in i mean you you didn't have Embiid tonight but i thought Everyone else played pretty much the role you want them to play, even with Embiid out there. Like, Embiid's just going to eat up kind of possessions from all four of those guys, from Redick, uh, Ben, Tobias, and Jimmy. But I think, you know, Jimmy Butler took on more of that ball-handling role that you wanted to take on. Tobias Harris, like, found his spots and scored 22 efficiently. Um, that's kind of what you're looking for. And I think I think if you could maintain what you saw tonight in terms of the starting five and just insert Joel Embiid into that I think that's kind of the role I'd like to see the other four take around him regardless of you're not gonna get JJ scoring 28 every night um but just I think that distribution of of shots it felt it felt for the first time without Embiid like a game where you watched and you went they actually fit together and this makes sense Like, typically when they don't have Embiid, you're just, like, really... They're really pressing all the time. It's just, yeah. like, feels like they're taking turns between Simmons, Embiid... Or Simmons, uh, Butler, and Harris to, like, who's going to who's gonna carry the team tonight. Yeah. And this actually felt like a pretty much like what you'd expect from the full team minus Embiid. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, I want to take a quick break, and we'll come back with... Uh, start talking about Boston a little bit. Sure. All right, Max, so... Tomorrow, or depending on when you're listening to this, possibly today, uh, the Sixers are playing, closing their their season series out against the Boston Celtics. Uh, This one is at home. Uh, They haven't played 
the Celtics. They played them on in February, but before that, they were both kind of earlier in the season. Uh, they put them on Christmas, and they played them to open the year. Um, I saw something interesting that was the last two seasons, they were one in three in the Boston series. And in both of those seasons, they lost the first three and won the last game. And I think for last year, the case with that for a lot of it was um, the same as this year, where, like, yeah, they only had buyout candidates really last year, but the team that played Boston in the final game of the year was very different than the team that played Boston in the first three. Now you saw how that team worked out against them in the playoffs, which wasn't great. Um, But this is really their chance to make that statement um, at home against a team that, whether they will face them in the playoffs or not, depending on seeding, it seems if things hold the way they are now, they won't until at least the second round, I think, right? Or maybe not even until the the Eastern Conference Finals if we make it that far. Um, but, I mean, this has been their, their white whale of a team. They need to – this is probably – this is the most important – game by far for the rest of the season for them um and i'm going to the game so i'm very nervous about it because i don't want to be all bummed out like a weirdo um i'll just have some beers it's fine uh but um boss has been playing kind of up and down you know they're i think like you know seven and or six and seven over their last you know what does that be? 13 games. Um, Hayward's going to be out with a concussion, which he's been actually playing well. Um, but the problem lies in everyone else on the team because they didn't have Hayward last year. Uh, they didn't have Kyrie for a lot of the year, and they still whooped ass. So, um, win or loss, Max, um, you know, this. This let's just say it's not going to be a blowout either way. You know, fingers crossed. Mm-hmm. Uh, win or loss, what, is, what are you looking for the most – in the game that, you know, would mean something going forward? I guess, I guess before I answer that, I, I feel like this game, um, you, you said that it was like a big statement game for the Sixers. They have an opportunity to like really prove something and the Celtics have been their white whale. It's like, I kind of feel like it's the other way around, not the white whale thing. Cause obviously the Sixers have gotten their asses kicked by the Celtics the last two seasons, and obviously beyond that, um, I feel like the Celtics have something to prove right now. Like, if the Celtics drop this game to the Sixers, I think that really, uh, and especially if it's if it looks like um, anything like that Milwaukee game, where the, the Sixers were really just in control, and the Sixers are coming off five straight wins, the Celtics, like you said, have been struggling. I think if the Sixers just kind of bury the Celtics at home, I think that really establishes the narrative that I think is correct at this point, that like, it's really the Raptors, the Bucks, and the Sixers. Then it's the Pacers and the Celtics. Then it's these other smack dick teams that are going to get knocked out in the first round. Like, that's how I feel about it. I think if the, if the Celtics come in and eke out a win against the Sixers, I, I maybe, I don't know if that changes how I feel about the Celtics. I'm just, like, not worried about them anymore. I, I'm really not. And I, I think, you know, t- to me... I'm not even feeling that worried about that four. I mean, I don't want the four or five matchup against them. Like, and I don't, actually don't think, I think at this point, the Sixers are pretty safe from that. Um, you know, they're two games up on the Pacers with a tiebreaker. The Pacers are 
losing right now to the Clippers. We'll see what happens with that game. The Sixers have a super easy schedule. The Pacers have a pretty tough schedule. Like I, I think the Sixers are pretty safe in getting the three seed. Um, or the Celtics jumping them and then playing the Pacers in the first round. But I guess I'm just not that worried about the Celtics. Like I, I'm just kind of past that. I, I, I won't know. be unworried until they beat them in a statement game. Um, because I'll feel a lot better, for example, should it happen where they would end up somehow playing the Celtics in the first or second round of the playoffs, feel a lot better going into that game if they win this one. If they lose this one, no matter in what fashion, I'm not going to be, you know, looking forward to that. Because it's entirely possible that, you know, I mean, they just beat the Bucks. Uh, Raptors are always given a pain. They're always a pain. But, like, it's entirely possible that they can beat anyone in the East in a seven-game series except the Celtics. It doesn't mean the Celtics are the best team in the East. They could just be their foil, and it's entirely possible that could happen. And, like, I think you're right. I think the three seed is basically, you know, you hope locked up. I mean, the rest of the season they're playing. Sixers got Celtics, then Hawks, Magic, Nets, Wolves, Mavs, Hawks, Bucks again, then Bulls, Heat, Bulls. Like, it's a lot of wins in there, most likely. So as long as you don't go on a skid and just – play really terribly you're going to probably lock up that three seed which is huge but i don't feel i wouldn't feel comfortable about going into the postseason at all if you can't beat the celtics because i remember saying and i think i've said this in the podcast before too that i've said before like because i just wanted the sixers to be good and the celtics you know whatever but like yeah oh yeah a revitalized sixers celtics rivalry is great for the nba fuck that I'd rather they sucked. I was stupid saying that. I'd rather they're terrible. Why would I bring that upon myself? And that's why I feel like you can't... I can't be where you are in, like, the Zen master way of looking at the Boston Celtics until the Sixers show me that I can feel that way. Yeah, no, th- that's totally fair. I think I will say, as I'm saying this... Um, as I'm saying this, I'm kind of imagining the thing I'm I would be really excited about, and that would really maybe get me over the last hump of not only feeling like okay, the Celtics aren't the the team I'm worried about, but also I'm I'm pretty sure the Sixers can beat them in a seven game series, which I'm I'm not right. I'm I'm not as confident as I am against the Pistons or as confident as I am even against the Pacers, um, but I'm not as worried about them as I am the Bucks and the Raptors, but. If in tomorrow's game or today's, if you're if you're listening on game day, if Joel Embiid can figure out Al Horford, that probably is yeah. that takes me over to the edge. I just, I'm just not even worried. I'm at that point where I'm if they can figure out that piece, like if Al Horford, you know, um, I don't even want to put a number on it. It's not about like what Al Horford does. It's just that like Embiid is is so held back. Uh, and it's stupid. It makes no sense. Yeah. And you look at that matchup and you think like, okay, you got a an undersized center who's like skill oriented, not super quick on his feet anymore. He's a little bit older. Like Embiid's just gonna bury him. And every time they play, he gets Embiid in foul trouble. He, you know, forces him into bad shots. Um, figures out how to how to like get his own on Embiid. And I just like if yeah. they can figure out that part of it, I'm not worried at all because. Uh, none of their other bigs are are going to do anything against Embiid in a, in a seven game series. Let me, and, let me, and Embiid's way better this year. Let me ask you this: say, say in 
tomorrow slash tonight's game that for whatever reason Horford is on the floor and Embiid is not uh, whether it be foul trouble or whatever rotational or whatever with Embiid off the floor who do you want to see guarding Al Horford Um, I, I don't think you can use Boban. I think I, the I just answer think he's out of the road. might be like Simmons, Mike Scott. <laughs> Maybe it could be someone like Mike Scott. Where Ben Simmons isn't a bad idea, though. Right, but I depending think, on what who else is on the floor. I think my concern would be. I think Simmons is a much more skilled defender than Mike Scott, obviously. But my concern would be if you get Mike Scott into a little bit of foul trouble, that's a lot easier to deal with than if you get Ben Simmons into foul trouble. So mm-hmm. that's me. Yeah, but so, you know, maybe maybe Mike Scott's the key. Maybe he's been the key all along. Does he have a key emoji tattooed somewhere? I'm sure he does. Maybe that's always been it, you know. But yeah, I that's I don't think I can't feel comfortable. And I I said a couple episodes ago that like I'm going full irrational fan. Like we can beat any team in the world, you know. It's all it's done. Like polish the trophy now, just in my own for my own mental headspace. But I don't think I can fully 100% commit to that until. Until this game results in a in a win for the Sixers, I'll still like ninety nine percent commit to it. But if if I'll be completely insufferable on purpose, if they can pull this one out, so I think that's fair. Yeah, I think if they lost to the Bucks, I wouldn't feel that way. I think the fact that they've looked as good as they've looked, that the teams like I mean, realistically, how many what is it ten games that that not even that Embiid has played with Tobias Harris and the rest of the the starting five. Is it? Is it? I mean, maybe it's Seven. about ten. Tonight would have been eight yeah. if Embiid played, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, like that's crazy. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I think we're kind of discounting that to an extent. Like they played the Celtics a couple times earlier this year. Um, one of those times, right, was was right before the break, when they did have Harris. I can't remember if like Jimmy Butler missed that game or, but even if he played, I think it was like one of the first few games that they had the, mm-hmm. the five. If if they even did, I can't remember if it was before or after the trade. Um, and the first game of the year, they didn't even have Jimmy Butler at that point. No. I just, I'm just not as concerned. Um, but that said, if they, if Embiid comes in and they won, they win this game in two, he's able to shut down Al Horford and and just, you know, be his normal self and not have Horford just be this weird kryptonite that doesn't make sense. Like, I will feel as good as I could possibly feel. Like, I will now put the Celtics into that, like, Pacers category of teams I think they should beat in a seven-game series, but who are good, good enough to beat them. Like, the Pistons, Nets, and Heat aren't even in the category of, like, like, I would be shocked if one of those teams upset the Sixers in the series. The Pacers could. I don't think they would. The Celtics, like I said, can be in that category if, if the Horford thing isn't a factor. Yeah, no, I agree. Um... I do think it'd be poetic if they win against Boston, then find a way to win out. They will, as last year, they became what the first team in NBA history to end the season on a 16-game winning streak. Mm-hmm. If they won out this year, they would do the same. That's exactly it. And the Bucks and the Bucks left. might be resting. I mean, the Bucks are three games up on the Raptors. Like, who knows what they'll be doing? I mean, the Sixers might be also. Right. Um, I think if you win this game too, and this is, I want to check in on the score of the, um, yeah, Pacers game. As of right now, there's like seven minutes left in the second. The Pacers are down five to the Clippers. So like in, in LA. Yeah. So who knows what happens with that game? If the Pacers lose this game and the Sixers beat the Celtics, I think you've basically got it locked up. Like you would need to really, the wheels would have to come off, and those teams would have to pretty much win out yeah. 
for you to for you to lose three, which I think is huge. And I, somebody asked us a question. We'll we'll get to questions soon, but just since we're talking about it, um, somebody asked us, or I think a couple of people asked us, would you rather play the uh, the Heat? I think it'll. I think the Heat are kind of locked into eight, uh, but theoretically they could jump to six. Would you rather play the Heat, the Pistons, or the Nets in a first round series if you get the three? Um, of those three, who would rather play? Or just rank? I guess rank rank them of those three. Heat, Pistons, Nets. Yeah, I think so too. I might put the Pistons one, um, just because the Heat are a veteran. I mean, they kicked their ass last year, so I don't know why I'd be that worried about it. But it just feels like there's more of a chance of an upset. Like the Pistons, just I think have no shot. Yeah. Um, the Sixers have really handled them pretty well, with the exception of Blake Griffin being a monster every time they play um and the nets are probably the scariest of those Um, yeah but again not really like not not, it's hard to imagine a world in which they win four games against Sixers. right yeah yeah so yeah that's how i put it um before we get the rest of the questions max do you want to take another quick break let's take a break all right all right max uh we are back um i hope you have questions lined up because i do not uh, I do. I'm pulling them up Perfect. as we speak. Cool. We planned really well. We did. This is great. Um, Coach Rollins uh, at John Wooden uh, asked, yeah, that is really good. Is there a more demoralizing, non-profane insult than calling someone a baby after dunking on them, which uh, is what Giannis did to Ben Simmons? Uh, see, the non-profane part is the part... Maybe not. I was trying to, I saw this earlier and I was trying to think of it. And outside of profanity or just like things that would confuse them into into embarrassment, I can't think of one. See, in, in the, off the top of my head, it's like it's hard to think of a specific thing. But where, where my head goes is, you know, it's like when you're driving and someone like you cut someone off accidentally and they pull up to you at the next light and they like call you a fucking idiot that doesn't really hurt no like that that's it's not embarrassing and you're kind of like well fuck you if they're like just give you that disappointed look or they shake their head at you and make eye contact it's like what is the the verbal equivalent of like you're not even worth it which is basically i feel like calling someone a baby while it's not profane is like it's aggressive in a way that's like doesn't feel bad it's like what you're kind of going for is like man this person's a joke yeah of a player yeah I don't know what that looks like. I don't know what that is, but I feel like that's the one that would be the the demoralizing thing. I think being called a baby, and also when you're six ten, like being called right. a baby is kind of weird. I mean, you could go like, you, like even if, like, oh, he's a limp squid or some shit like that, and be weird. But like that doesn't really work on most people. And I was trying to think if like if calling someone like a toddler is worse, but it's not. Like saying like, oh, he's an infant or he's a toddler, it doesn't have the same thing as saying he's a baby. It's yeah, it's hard. It's hard. The only response is to just dunk on his head next time down, which is what happened. But uh, yeah, I don't. I don't ever want a grown man calling me a baby, especially if that grown man is damn near seven feet tall. Because we're gonna say, "No, I'm not." Of course you are compared to him. Everyone's a baby compared to that man. Come on. I there was that one. I'm trying to remember. There was something that Michael Jordan. I'm, I'm looking it up right now. That Michael Jordan said to Muggsy Bogues. Uh, that that Muggsy Bogues like after the fact said like ruined his career like he just like never was the same after, after I'm trying to remember what it was 
I'll look it up while we answer the next well, question. Well, whatever he said um, to him, Muggsy should have responded with one a bet. Would have just been a little tit for tat action there. Um, at Eagles Advocate asked Zaire Smith minutes in the playoffs over under .5 minute under I agree he looks really bad I don't know if you've watched any of the highlights even if he looks really good it's, he's not if he's not in the rotation with what eight games to play in the season he's not going to be getting playoff minutes it's not going to happen and if it does happen something went terribly terribly wrong or terribly terribly right there's the only options. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't think there's any way he plays uh, at this point. I, I I was hopeful that he would make it back and, like, play some garbage minutes, kind of the Jonah Bolden uh, role, uh, and, like, maybe work his way into the playoff rotation if they really needed it. But I just feel like it's he's undersized. He doesn't look as athletic. I'm, like, a little worried, but not not – that worried i guess it's like he lost like 35 pounds or whatever it was it's like i yeah. guess you just have to give it time but i mean it's I've, a little concerning that they they drafted a guy who just like his best thing was being like athletic and like a total freak and is now just like a normal ass guy in the g league yeah. i i said the the whole time I, you just don't bring him up this year at all so i still stand by that um by the way, the thing that Michael Jordan said to Muggsy Bogues, that I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm reciting like a BuzzFeed headline right now. The thing that Michael Jordan said to Muggsy Bogues that ruined his career. You'll never guess what happened um, next. Yeah, uh, I'm reading the the uh, the explanation. So Muggsy had the ball with the Hornets down one. Uh, the series was tied at two. This is in the playoffs in 1995, and and the Hornets had a chance to win Game Five in Chicago on the biggest possession of the game. Muggsy had the ball with the Hornets down one. Jordan backed off of him and said, shoot it, you fucking midget. Mm. Muggsy missed it, didn't come close, and later said that it ruined his career. If you're Muggsy... Although that's profane. Yeah. That's, <laughs> it's incredibly insensitive. I but, I but I do... But that's exactly what I'm going for. It's like, not that he called him a midget or whatever. Like, just that he, like, stepped off and was just like, just do it. I, I don't even think you're going to make this shot. Is like, that is the most... And you don't. That's the most demoralizing thing. Well, it's just, like, not being taken seriously at all. Well, two things. One... If Muggsy's got the ball and Michael Jordan is guarding him, somebody's open. Michael Jordan's a very good defender. Pass the ball to somebody else, Muggs. Also, this man was your goddamn co-star. Don't treat him like that. Come on. Michael Jordan was a Did you see recent- fucking sociopath. Oh. Did you see recently uh, that Muggsy Bogues had had like hip surgery or something or knee surgery right before they started filming the movie? And if you go back and watch, he's actually like in a wheelchair and like on this like rig. Yeah. So in the scenes where they're walking, it's all above the hips and his movements are so unnatural when you watch but it. I think, it's like, I had there, no idea that was the case. Isn't there also a scene where he's in a wheelchair because he's in a wheelchair. He gets like that, committed to like a mental institution because he's losing his well, mind about not being able to play basketball. It's well, it's him, uh, Sean Bradley, Chuck and, uh, uh, who's the last one? Is it, uh, was it grandma? Grandmama. Yeah. yeah. Uh, or in, yeah, they're being wheeled around. I'm pr- like now that I think about it, I'm like, why were they in wheelchairs in that scene? But I guess probably because Muggsy Bogues had to be in a wheelchair. Also, but like, in the, there's a scene where they're walking and all three bigs hit their head on the on the uh, door frame. Mm-hmm. But in that scene that you go back and watch, it's like Muggsy Bogues is just floating and like his shoulders are vaguely moving. It kind of looks like uh, 
in uh, like Mars Attacks yeah. the way they walk. Also, um, your problem is that you're overthinking the plotting in Space Jam, a movie that is not good. Yeah, it's really bad. Yeah. Who who is the what what and who right, what type of song and who is the new uh, like musician face of Space Jam Two? Well, can't be I think, the old one. Well, certainly it's not going to be the old one. Yeah. I think that's that's probably the route uh, they would have gone gonna, in, well, a, in an al- it'll be, alternate universe. It'll be Drake. Oh fuck! It's going to be Drake. Well, maybe by the time it comes out, there's like someone like younger that like younger people are into. In which case, you're asking the wrong person. But other than that, Man. it'll probably be. It's Drake, totally right? going to be Drake. Yeah, it's be Drake. I mean, it could be like Kendrick if they wanted to go. Rap, no, because like, I feel like they'll need hip hop and they'll this. need like that kind of like slow jammy part. So, yeah, I think it'd probably be Drake. I want like Young Thug to do it'll it. It'll be like That's Drake. Like it'll be. He'll be. Like, no, he won't be sampling that song for the same reasons that the old yeah, guy's not can't. coming back. It's it's all it's completely out. Yeah. Yep. Maybe Bill Murray will be back though. That'd be nice. Yeah, get Wayne. Bring Wayne Knight back. Is Wayne Knight alive? Wayne Knight's alive. I had I had a moment when you said that where, uh, where I thought he wasn't. No, Wayne Knight is alive. No, he's still. You're right. He is still alive. Believe me, I will know when Wayne Knight dies. <laughs> I'll um, be there. I, I did you watch? This is a real non sequitur, but I feel like we're at the point in our show, forty minutes in, that we do the non sequiturs. Mm-hmm. Did you watch any of the Mass Singer that show that was on? I think no, Fox. I didn't watch any of it. Okay, I, so as, as someone very... who doesn't have cable, I only watch something when I specifically want to watch it. I don't like I I don't yeah. flip the channels anymore, which I do miss a little bit. And that's something I would definitely watch when I was just like, flipping the channels, but I don't have that mm-hmm. that ability. I'm not gonna like, yeah. and that's something that like I feel like is very like social driven and like you know it's not something you watch like four days later on Hulu. So I just never watched it. I ha- yeah, I have to say, embarrassingly so, I watched it on Hulu uh, like a week ago. <laughs> Carly and I <laughs> went, went through the whole thing, binged you know, it, I and it was see- like we also. We couldn't look up anything about it because it was like all like yeah. I, I made the mistake of trying to look something up about the show and immediately got a huge spoiler yeah. on the first night watching it. So it's like, damn! Now, and I, now I'm excited for the next season so I can use the hashtag Mass Singer to get in on the conversation on social. I did see on I think Carly's Instagram story that you guys are watching it, and my first thought was, I thought that season was over. <laughs> so good on you guys yeah. for for you. You were right. Yeah. Uh, but the, the roundabout way that we got here was I, I very often I, I felt like I it was my worst nightmare to be a judge on that show because basically the, the idea of the show is these celebrities come on, they wear a costume, uh, their voice when they're not singing is like scrambled so you can't really under it's like that, uh, you know, um, the voice that you hear when like an ex-mob person is like doing an interview and they don't want to be identified. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you have to get the the audience and the judges have to guess who the celebrity is over the course of the season. It's like a singing competition, basically. Uh, one, I'm really bad with names and really bad with like celebrities. And I, I know faces, but it's like, I wouldn't like Willem Dafoe is like a person who's like face. I would know, but like, I might forget his name. Willem so Dafoe just, like, is also a man that, who's too famous to be on that show. <laughs> he is. That's exactly, well, that's my point. I'm, I'm going to transition to and why I was thinking about this is I also had this, like t- this, this, 
terror. Like every time, every like eighth time, the judges would guess a name. I'd be like, "Is that person dead?" <laughs> oh boy! Because I would just like not. Because I just wouldn't know. And it's like the level of celebrity that they were. You know, they would mention someone, and I'm like, "I'm pretty mm. sure that person's dead." Like, how terrible would it be if you're Ken Jong, host yeah. uh, or uh, one of the judges on the panel, and you just like whipped out like Frankie May. And it's like, yeah, that guy died. Do like, mean, people don't talk about him anymore because wait, he's not big enough for. Do you mean comedian Frankie May is dead, Ralphie right? Ralphie May. Ralphie May, the winner of Last Comics or contestant on Last Comics Standing twelve years ago. How disrespectful! I'm like using him as my example of like forgotten shitty celebrities. I can't even get his name right. Um, I remember I would like be looking at because it was always like you look at Twitter and it's like now trending this, and you would look at it people guessing, and so I knew who was on it just because. 80% of people were guessing the one person. I'm like, right, they must be right. So, like, everyone was guessing mm-hmm. Terry Bradshaw for one of them, and I think it was Terry Bradshaw. Spoiler yeah. alert. Uh, coming after the fact. But you would see all these, like, it's like, the the moose is Terry Bradshaw, and, like, back, boom, 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 like, 15 of them in a row, and then someone's just like, Matthew McConaughey! And I'm like, he's way too, like, he would get high and do that show, but he's way too famous. Maybe season two if it's really popular, but, like, they're not trotting out Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> I'm kind of hopeful that season two will be, uh, will be some more famous people because it it was a little underwhelming. Although there were some people that I thought it was the type of celebrity that I'm like, oh yeah, that. But I've been wondering what that person's up to. Uh, you know, I guess to not give any more spoilers, I won't name any more. I won't, won't throw out any more. Yeah. yeah, I think you find Terry Bradshaw in like maybe the first or second episodes. It's not a huge spoiler. Yeah. Um, Just wait until like season but, two when like the giraffe is Desmond Tutu. It's like, oh man, they That's what, they pulled they pulled out yeah. the big guns for season two. I just googled this to make sure Desmond Tutu wasn't dead. Yeah, at one point somebody guessed Oprah, and I no. was like, there is no fucking way that Oprah is doing this shit. No. Like, she does not need this this stress in her life. Not only like does she not need that. Like, when has she ever done anything that did like require no. her to like go out of her way to leave her house? Like, no, she has Oprah money on purpose. I can't believe Oprah does even the things that Oprah does. Yeah. If I had that kind of money, it's like, I'm not doing shit. Yeah. There's no way I'm still doing a show or like. Yeah. I ain't doing yeah. a goddamn thing. People can ghostwrite books in my name and yeah. I'll just like sign off on them at the I'll end. I'll act in one made for TV HBO movie every nine years or so. Done. Raking the, the awards. Done. All right. I'm going to move on. Uh, hopefully you understand this question because mm. I I don't, but I I sort of have an answer. Uh, Justin Coke asked, "Are you going to be consuming Questlove's vegetarian cheesesteak?" Oh, that, that's from? so I saw. So Questlove, I only saw very basic information about it today, but so Questlove, I uh, developed or came out with or whatever how I want to say it a uh, I don't know if it's vegetarian or if it's full vegan uh, cheesesteak. That they will be selling, at the very least, one location that I know of, which is at Citizens Bank Park this year. Um, oh, I see, I see, I see. In which case, my answer would be, perhaps, if it's the shortest line and I'm very hungry. Because the way I decide what I want to eat at sporting events is, how hungry am I equated into how willing am I to stand in the line? And in most cases, it's very hungry and unwilling to stand in the line. So I usually just get, like, shitty Aramark shit. So if it comes up, then, yeah, I'm not going to avoid it by any means. Um, but in most cases, I'm just going – I'm like, I just need 
insert food here to eat because I'm hungry. That's usually how it works for me at, at baseball games. Interesting. I'm looking at it now. So apparently he's partnering with, I don't really understand why Questlove is the person doing this, but uh, Questlove is partnering with Impossible Foods who make the Impossible uh. Burger, which I have had before. Um, I was really underwhelmed when I had the Impossible Burger. It's like a plant-based burger that's supposed to look, feel, and taste like meat, but doesn't really. Uh, at least the time I had it, it was like overcooked and didn't, like they say it like bleeds and everything. It's like supposed to like really feel like a medium rare burger, but it, it didn't when I had as it. Someone who's, but, uh, wait, I will s- as someone who's, as ahead. someone who's a meat eater and likes like when the juices fall out of the burger and all that kind of stuff, but because it's meat and they understand the function of it and it ta- why it, that happens and why it tastes like that, I can't imagine, and maybe I'm completely wrong in this, I can't imagine thinking of a food and be like, oh, it would be much better if it simulated bleeding at me. Like, I don't ever want that. If you if it tastes fine and it, you don't have to... Like, the blood part is not why I want it. It just happens because I'm eating a meat product. I don't need yeah. that. Uh, and I don't want you faking it, for sure. But maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. Uh, I've never I had also one, feel so maybe I'm just way. totally wrong. I like, I like it to be juicy, which I guess is just it being kind of bloody. Yeah. Um, I will say that, that I prefer... Typically, I prefer, um, I like vegetarian and vegan things a lot of times, but I prefer when it's like supposed to be that, not yeah. when it's like trying to be a mm-hmm. thing. Like there's a there's a, a vegan cheesesteak at Hip City Veg in downtown which, or in Center City, which is really good. Um, and I don't think they're trying to be mean. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's just kind of different. Yeah. It's like, I think it's Saitan or something, um, but it's just like a different flavor yeah. to it. And it's like same thing when you go to like honest tom's right it's like you're getting like a sweet potato burrito and that's like it's really good but it's not like a fake meat maybe they have those now no i'm the same way vegan recently but like i don't need it to to emulate meat i'd rather it just be good and vegetarian or vegan yeah uh max i'm gonna do two more questions i just got the low battery alert on my phone let's do it um oh steph Steph, our, our good Curry? friend of the pod, no. Steph Driver, asked... No, not Steph Curry. Steph Driver um, asked, what is our favorite cheese? Depends on the context. I like a good blue. Uh, good blue? I enjoy a fresh mozzarella. How do you eat a blue cheese? Like, what? what is your... When you say that. <laughs> just a like handful. Like, you slice it, or do you like it on the, thing? Like, in a salad, or like what's... a loose handful of blue cheese crumbles, like a bag of marbles. Um... No, I like it on a buffalo chicken sandwich. I like it on a salad with like some nuts and some maybe some cranberries. It's very good. Um, I like it in a. Well, actually, I don't even really like it as a blue cheese dressing, like on a salad, just as a dressing. But I like the crumbles, or like on a burger, even that's great. Uh, I like a fresh mozzarella. Saying it like that for dramatic yeah. effect. Um, when it comes to a standard like everyday cheese on items, like what do I get on like a cheesesteak, whatever? I'm a provolone guy. Uh, and then. I've never, I don't think I've ever actually had a, a, a slice or a chunk or piece of cheese that I have not liked. And when it comes to like fancy cheese boards and shit, I don't know what a lot of those things are called, but I like all of them. I like, a, I don't know what the right appropriate word is for food people, but I guess a soft cheese. I enjoy a soft cheese. Are you talking about like a feta or like goat cheese or are you talking about like brie? All of the above. 
Okay. Like one that I can kind of almost spread like, on like a does cracker. Does it have a crust to it? Does it have like a yeah, yeah. like a like a brie? Like yeah. it has a crust around. Yeah, like it a nice brie. brie. Yeah. And they spread okay. it on a cracker and like grab a little piece of meat, like from from my De Bruno brothers pals, and just you put it all together. That's always nice. Yeah, I like a I like a soft cheese, and the stinkier the better, honestly. I think I, I feel similarly that it's a hard question to answer. If we're talking like on a cheesesteak uh, or a sandwich or something, it's provolone or maybe Havarti. Uh, cheddar, if it's a burger, is always good. Do you um, wait? I think, can I just quick aside? Yeah, yeah. My phone's gonna die. I'm gonna hate this, but quick aside, have you walked up and said Havarti wit to anybody in your entire life? No, okay. just, I don't think you can get Havarti cheese. Sure. In the- <laughs> yeah, I get the. Uh, oh, I guess can I get the Havarti whip? Yeah, cool. Fourteen dollars. Yeah, fine. That's whatever. Uh, I would say that like Parmesan is probably the cheese I I eat the most often. Yeah, it's just very versatile, and I lo- I love it. Um, probably burrata mm. actually. Oh, like, I do the like a burrata. Burrata is really good. Like, if I see that on a menu on like some appetizer has burrata, mm-hmm. it's like that's always what I'm getting at a nicer. You restaurant. know what? I used to hate, but I have come to really enjoy. But you just have to you have to have the right context for it. I think. And as a kid, I was like, mm-hmm. this just tastes bitter by itself. I've come to really enjoy a Swiss. It's okay. Yeah, I enjoy a Swiss. It's all right. In the right context, it's it's very very good. Like on a tuna melt. That's that's a good Swiss. And this is a this is gonna be a bad answer. I honestly really like Kraft singles. I like just eating them on their own. I fucking love them. So I I come from a rare household. I I believe where uh, we didn't what you would uh, you would never describe describe us as quote having money. Uh, but we never did the craft singles things. We got like we had like American wow. from like the Acme or the Pathmark or whatever. Um, but we never did the craft singles. I never like remember the first time I saw a craft single like the, un- the unwrapping and peeling it out. I was so disgusted, and still to this day, it disgusts me. Because like American cheese, as it is sliced up from the supermarket, is still not even like really technically cheese, and it's barely a food. And this is like two percent of that. I can't do yeah. the craft singles bother me. They really do. Do you feel the same way about craft mac and cheese? No, I'm fine with that. It's kind of the same idea. It's like it tastes good, and, but you know, it's like it's a, I don't even understand I, what it it's, is. It's like cardboard it is that, and flavoring. But it's the, I think with the singles, it's, it's a textural thing as well, for sure, and a visual thing. Yeah, yeah, I get yeah. that. Um, we said we we're going to take two questions, but I actually realized we don't have any other questions that we didn't get to on the pod already. Okay. Do you have a question? So Max? your phone's probably going to die. Uh, I don't think I do have a question. Oh. I don't have a question. Okay. That's fine. Oh, let's just say this. Um, uh, starting tomorrow, which is oh, good in point. 18 Let's talk about the shirts. In 18 minutes. Uh, the shirts will be on sale until the 24th. And if I read the email correctly, uh, they'll be on bigger sale than they ever have been before, which is... The biggest sale of all time. Yes, because... I know our, our shirt site is always on sale yeah now it is like truly truly on sale uh it's on sale once a month typically where the t- the plain t-shirts are 14 dollars. but as of 18 minutes from now and for four days i believe they will be 13 dollars. which who boy what a bargain uh by grab thar's hammer what a savings if i may say so myself that's a Galaxy Quest quote, everybody. Uh, and it's also good because I recently broke my mug at work and need a new mug. So maybe I'll have to get one of our mugs. If you buy 19 of our T-shirts tomorrow, uh, you'll have saved enough money to buy one of Quest Love's vegan cheesesteaks at Citizens Bank Park this coming there season. There you go. See? 
Tax not included. Everyone but. should buy 19, and neither the shipping. Everyone should buy 19 t-shirts because, if I may say so again, buy Grabthar's Hammer. What a savings. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. Right. We'll see you next time. See you.